Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. I'm your host, Stella Bales. For any new listeners who don't know what to expect, in each episode, I interview an expert on an emerging area of public relations. I get to the facts, but I leave out the jargon. It's a podcast about marketing, but it's in plain language. No, really, it is. (laughs) Welcome back to all of my regular listeners too. If any of you have any comments or questions, just tweet me at Stella Bales. And don't forget to subscribe on Spotify and on iTunes, whatever you listen on at the end of the episode. Enjoy. Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. In this episode, I'm interviewing Alistair McCapra. He's the Chief Exec of the CIPR in the UK, which is the Chartered Institute of Public Relations. Now, we are talking about FTSE 100 businesses and the presence or lack of PR expertise in executive leadership teams and on boards in FTSE 100 businesses. Now, this is the second time the CIPR have run this kind of research and it's a real surprise to see that there is such a lack of PR credentials at a senior level in so many organizations and FTSE 100s. So Addison and I are exploring why this is. So right from reputation management being viewed as a when it happens scenario rather than that pre-planning and also the senior opinions of the financial value of public relations, does that have an effect? Alistair shares and digs into some examples of what can actually happen when senior people in organizations aren't thinking about reputation management and how it can have a huge effect financially on a business. We talk about building trust amongst the public and why it's absolutely key that a board of a business is involved in thinking about that for it to truly work. Alistair digs into the detail about what PR teams you guys can do right now to start raising awareness about corporate reputation from any level you're speaking to and pushing that right up the ladder to that senior level. So hopefully together we can change this and start to have more PR representation on board level of these leading businesses. So without further ado, here's Alistair. Alistair, thank you so much for joining me. It's lovely to finally meet you in person as well. it's, It's great. Great to be with you. Thank you. So really want to talk about the recent research that CIPR have carried out with Mm -hmm. FTSE 100 companies and the leadership boards and the lack of PR presence. Can you talk us through that? Sure. I mean, in a way, it's not a great surprise. We did this same research last year. It's been a very slight improvement. And what we're looking for is what kind of expertise do FTSE 100 companies have at a senior level? So we look at the members of their boards, Some of those may have particular comms, stakeholder engagement, skills and background. We also look at the senior leadership team and we look at their management committees, which are all three. And what we found was that only three of the FTSE 100 companies have somebody actually on their board with identifiable comms, PR, stakeholder engagement, background or skills that we can see. Only three. Just over half have somebody on their senior leadership team but that's not then reflected on their board. It doesn't sound great. It's actually a slight improvement on last year, but not not very much. So, I mean, the, the, I think the main point is there's a, there's a very big gap there at, mm. at the senior level in those organisations. The three that do, uh, mm. is there any similarities in the sector that they're in? What kind of organisations are we're, we're trying to avoid any kind of naming or, or singling out of individual companies. So, no, no, there isn't. No, there isn't. Uh, there isn't. There isn't a kind of common factor in that sense. There are some common themes, though, if we look sector by sector, it's noticeable that banking and the media, every 
company that's in the FTSE 100 has either senior leadership team or board expertise, which kind of makes sense if you think those are very heavily regulated sectors. There's a lot of compliance. There are also sectors where there's a lot of customer activism, potentially. Mm-hmm. Reputation really matters. If they do something that upsets people, if they sponsor the wrong thing or you know get involved in something controversial, then because they're sort of retail businesses, there can be a big backlash for them. So it's not surprising that they're both well represented, but that's not mirrored across other sectors. Construction, very patchy, which is, again, if you think about it, why might the reason be? Well, for the really, really big global kind of construction firms, their clients are usually governments, big public sector agencies. They're not really retail businesses in the same way. So there are potentials for scandal. There was the collapse of Carillion only five years ago. There was a lot wrong with that organisation. But on the whole, those organisations may feel that they're, you know, they're working in a, in a B2B world and reputation management doesn't matter so much to them. Slightly more surprising was retail. I think only 20% in, in the retail sector had identifiable comms stakeholder engagement expertise at that senior level, where you know, the, the same things that apply to banking and the media apply across retail. You know, lots of uh, customer activism, lots of calls to boycott things, panics, you know, consumer panics about one thing or another. You might think about the horse meat scandal 10 years ago. Mm. A lot can go wrong very quickly. Mm. And yet those organisations don't seem particularly well prepared, uh, as far as we can tell. So that's possibly an, uh, an area of weakness. Obviously, this is the FTSE 100, so it's UK-based research. Yep. Do we have an idea of the comparison between companies in the US, for example? Um, Do they take it more seriously? We haven't, we haven't looked at that in our research. My guess would be probably they do. I think that reputation management is probably a bit further along in the United States than it is here. Mm. And these things are taken very seriously indeed. For all, all the factors that I just mentioned that, you know, activist customers, boycotts, you know, those sorts of things can blow up very quickly. And when we saw the whole thing about um, influencers and Bud Light this year, which evidently took their senior management completely by surprise, they went off in one direction and then immediately turned tail and ran and didn't didn't really seem to have or didn't offer the public any real explanation of why they were doing what they were doing and mm. seemed very ready to, to drop it when it became problematic. Do you think that that seems to be when people do take action, when something goes yes, wrong yes. and then th- there's an introduction yes. of a comms person? Yes. So, you know, I was thinking when we looked at this research, well, why is it like this? You yeah. know, I mean, if you think about risk management generally in organisations, it's really advanced a lot in the last 20 years. It's taken much more seriously. It's much more methodical. People are very aware of you know, traditional risks like financial risks. There are lots of new risks around things like cybersecurity. And these things are taken very seriously. Reputational risk just seems to lag behind in terms of people's understanding of how quickly something can blow up and how little time you have. And one of the reasons I think may be that people at the top of on these boards and, and the management of these organisations, you know, they're very senior people. They've pretty certainly dealt with crises before. And so they may think that they'll just be able to do what they did 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. They may get lucky, but it, the world has really changed. And, you know, when things go wrong, they can go very rapidly and very spectacularly wrong. It, it, it's much more difficult to recover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's much better, really, to try and see these things off. I mean, somebody once described the work of public relations to me as, as seeing round corners. 
I thought that was a really good description because it's, you know, people whose job is to look ahead and see what's not necessarily obvious. You know, what are emerging trends? What are people beginning to say? What yeah. are you beginning to pick up yeah. on your reputation tracking? And that's just really useful intelligence. And you can, you, you know, with good preparation, you can head a lot of things off. So there's never a crisis. And so, you know, that would be a, a, a really valuable contribution from public relations. And in fact, if, if, you, if you could see these things forming and brewing, but manage to deal with them before they ever, you know, actually hit crisis stage. Mm. Do you think we need stronger scare tactics? So, you know, do we need to try and forecast what the financial damage could be with potential situations and actually outline what some of these situations could be? And it seems extreme. It is extreme. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, on my way in, well, you know, most houses that don't have a smoke alarm don't burn down, you know, so <laughs> in fact, most houses don't burn down at all. So, People who don't have smoke alarms think they're fine. But if you're unlucky, you know, you've got very little time and, and very few options. And, and, and so it's, it's worth an investment because if you're unlucky, you'll need all the time you have. You'll need every minute. And I think PR can play a similar function mm. in organisations. But there are some examples you could think of where things have gone really badly wrong. One would be Thomas Cook, which was a, a FTSE 100 company. And you might remember they had a a very unpleasant and very long drawn out dispute because I think some members of a family died in holiday accommodation in Greece from carbon monoxide poisoning. And, you know, it was very unfortunate, but they really invested a lot of time and effort in trying to dodge responsibility. And the family were very persistent and wouldn't let go of this. And Thomas Cook really threw every possible obstacle in their path there was even a suggestion that there was an exchange of money between Thomas Cook and the, the landlord. I don't know if that was true or not, but it all went on and on. And it didn't, you know, once that became headline news, they just couldn't shake it off. And that damaged their customer confidence. It, it did damage their reputation. It's an extremely competitive business. So they're working on really tight margins anyway. And then the thing that finished them off was um, a similar kind of case. I think it was, but unrelated, I think it was maybe food poisoning in Egypt or something. But that just sealed the deal. That was it. You know, no one was going to go Thomas Cook because they already had this uh, incident in Greece in their mind. And now this other case, and and that that finished them off. And I think, well, you know, it is a tough business and it's very competitive, but that was avoidable, you Mm. know. And whatever advice they took, they dug their heels in, they fought a fight, they, they, they came across as ungenerous, uncaring, and people thought, well, you know, that could have been me. And, you know, is, how will they treat me if something goes badly wrong with my holiday? Uh, and in the end, it, it finished them off. And the damage is done. Yeah. I'm thinking about the actual teams who are working with these kind of organisations. Mm. Now, it would be obvious that a corporate communications department would be helping with reputation mm. and having conversations with the most senior contact that they have yes. with about this kind of thing. What if a business hasn't invested in a retainer in corporate communications Mm. and they're just investing in the sort of proactive, positive stories? Do you think that there's a place for those kind of consumer teams to push in this area and to to try and highlight how important it is? An interesting example, another FTSE 100 company that eventually went under, which didn't do that, was Nokia. And Nokia was an amazing company. They were really inventive. I think they brought the first, the world's first smartphone. They had, I think, the first camera, a phone with a camera in it. And they led the world. They were the biggest manufacturer of phones in the world. And having reached that point, they just thought, 
right? We're the leading manufacturer of phones in the world. Let's ship it. And, you know, they they sold good, serviceable phones. You never heard people ranting about how crap their Nokia was. Everyone was happy with them. But the problem was there was something about their customers which they didn't understand, which is people wanted more features. So they were focused on getting out good quality phones that were exactly the same as last year's phone, more or less, and the same as the, as the previous year's phone. And Apple and Android came in and said, look, buy this year's phone because we've got all this new stuff. We've got a better camera. We can do this. We can do that. And once people had gone to Android or once they'd gone to Apple, they just never went back. They were not interested in Nokia. They didn't matter if it was cheaper or whatever. They just couldn't keep up. And they made that mistake by not understanding their customers. So that, that wasn't about crisis. And it wasn't about them doing something terrible that was, you know, potentially damaging to their reputation. They actually just got overconfident and thought that it, now it was just all about shifting units mm. and they weren't paying attention to the people who they were selling to. Mm. And by the time they realised, they couldn't recover. It's really interesting, that example, because it just highlights the point of constant audience and yes. target audience insight yeah. and not just focusing on activation all of the no, time. No, not at all. No, and absolutely. really building that out throughout right. and, and not just having, oh, we've got a quick, quick yeah, you know, element of insight, right, so yeah. we're going into a campaign. It's yeah. got to be constantly throughout, right, hasn't yeah. it? I mean, we're a tiny business. We're nowhere near the FTSE 100. We're probably not in the FTSE million. But... You know, <laughs> but our members uh, and, and our customers are not the same as they were five years ago. Mm. I mean, they're physically different people in many cases, but they behave differently. There's no point in us saying, well, this worked in 2018, 2019, so we'll just crank it out and it'll all be the same. It won't. You yeah. know? So even in our very limited way, with our you know, very small markets and our very small means, we have to pay attention to what people are saying and doing. And also what, what they say isn't sometimes what they do. You know, they all said, oh, we, want, we really want to come back to face-to-face -to -face meetings. Well, they like to come back to some some face-to-face -face meetings sometimes, but not as many as they did five years ago. They're much, much more selective. Mm. And we have to figure that out. And mm. and so you, you have to be in listening mode all the time. You can't be forever a successful company if you're not in listening mode. I'm loving what you're saying right now. I actually felt that, that when I was always part of traditional mm. consumer PR agencies for the first part of my career, then I went into digital marketing mm. and search. And I feel like that change was the first time that I really, truly stopped thinking about journalists first and started mm. thinking about the real target audience, mm. which I know mm. we always do say, let's mm. talk about target audience, but truly put myself in their shoes and really trying yes. to understand them and understand how they're searching and why yes. they're searching. And I think, you know, that was quite a few years ago now, but now we do have access to so much more mm. technology that can really help us yes. listen in so many different ways. And you're right, it is about just doing that constantly mm. because it's constantly changing, isn't and it? And you're right, it's easier than ever. I mean, the, the much better technology, much better data, much more specialist agencies who'll do it for you. You know, with every passing year, it's odder that there are organisations that still seem to be trying to cut the corner and just go for a quick win. So why do you think that it's not being taken seriously? Why do you think it's hard for PR teams to be able to sell this in and communications mm. professionals to be able to sell this into to their clients? Well, a number of reasons. One is that I think the whole kind of the doctrine about shareholder value has really dominated companies. And so, you know, they've for many years been, you know, really focused on quarterly earnings and that's that's what they're measured on and everything else just you know is secondary to that so as long as you're delivering value to the shareholders the you know, specifics of it doesn't don't don't really matter and that's you know that's a that's a not a, a bad discipline but there are other this kind of long term 
kind of gardening things you have to do. You know, you're not going to be in bloom all see all day every season. You know, there are things you have to do out of season. You have to weed. You have to prune. There's those kinds of things which go into making sure that when you're in bloom, you you know you have a fantastic show, and 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 it's easy for those things to get pushed away. Also, I think that in many organisations, PR is still under or reporting to marketing and is seen as a subset of or a specialist function within marketing. Mm. And so people approach PR sort of as you said, well, let's let's pump out these good news stories about how well everything's going and get everybody all excited and, you know, and th- that we'll, we'll sell more widgets or whatever it is. And that's, you know, that's a perfectly valuable and valid part of PR. But it is a bit of a jump for the imagination to say, right, it's a huge crisis brewing that we hadn't imagined. You know those people that do your press releases for about that? Get them in because they're the ones, yeah. you know, you just think, what? Why would we ask them? You yeah. know, like, what, what, how would they help us with this? So I, I think PR, you know, PR is not very good at doing its own PR. Mm. And, and I think most organisations retain or hire PR people for very specific sales-related functions in many mm. cases. And they're not, it, it, they don't really think that those people are the people who can help them with a wider set of problems. This podcast is brought to you by CoverageBook, the tool that creates beautifully designed reports with credible metrics you can be proud of. Head to coveragebook.com for your free trial. Also, because there will be an element of data and research to back Mm. this up, to sell Mm. this in as well. It just reminded me of a project, again, when I was, it got presented to the marketing agency rather than the PR agency. Yep. So this is quite an interesting one. It was a big brand who were about to release financial results and then an incorrect story appeared about the CEO, wasn't true on the Daily Mail and they mm. were really worried about it. Mm. They came to us as a search agency rather than to their PR agency, mm. which I found really, really interesting. Mm. We ended up recommending that they mm. ended, they worked mm. with the PR, we worked together yes. and then that project happened and we really helped with it. But... Yeah, if, when they first saw that, they thought online, data, search, we need this quickly gone. Yeah, What's yeah. the quickest way rather than going through to we yeah. need some professionals to speak to journalists and get the true story out. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, it was very interesting, but thankfully we did say, no, we absolutely need to work with your mm. PR department on this. But, yeah, I wonder if that's the, sort of the lack of trust with data mm. and digital skills. Do you think that could be something or...? Yes, uh, but I, I also think there's a thing about measurement. I mean, yeah. measurement is very important. And the old days when you could kind of blag your way through things without measuring and evaluating, you know, are rightfully gone. But anything that's strategic is harder to measure. And I think, you know, PR worries a lot about measurement. And I think one possible side effect of that is we tend to do the things that are most easily measurable. And that is very often related to sales. It's related to campaigns. It's got a definite beginning, definite amount of money, definite outcome you're looking for. You can say whether you achieved it or not. Strategic things are hard to measure, not just for PR. There are all sorts of people who will be giving advice to boards on strategic questions, lawyers, risk managers, others. They are not constantly faced with demands to demonstrate return on investment for every wretched thing they do. And somehow PR people are expected to do this. It's Mm. like, well, Go go ask your lawyer, you know, what what have they added to your bottom line this week? Like public relations, sometimes they can answer. They can say, well, you know, I, I helped you negotiate this contract that was worth, you know, X million or billion. Sometimes you can do that. But a lot of the time, they're just keeping their eye open. They're looking at everything methodically and saying, 
that's you know that's not right or this is an area of risk or don't go into business with these people and that sort of you know looking around corners thinking ahead heading things off making sure that things don't escalate those are valuable things but they're not easily quantifiable things mm. and so i i think sometimes you know we're not so comfortable with those things and also i mean i i, I also have to admit that this kind of strategic thinking and strategic advising is not for everybody. It's predominantly for very experienced people. Uh, and, and a lot of PR professionals themselves would not feel comfortable in that space offering that kind of advice. Mm. So, you know, part of our job at the CIPR is to help people develop themselves so that they are in that position. Mm. So that, you you know, uh, uh, there may be, a, may be a sense in which at a certain level, you just run out of PR people and you have to go to lawyers or somebody else because there isn't anybody with a PR background who can, who can think in that way and has the confidence and the wherewithal and the experience to give you that advice. So that's that's part of our job is, is to make sure that there are in future. I mean, we're talking about some of the examples have been quite substantial examples mm. and, yeah. and the ones that can take down an, a business. Yes. But there are many levels of crisis and yes. reputation yeah. damaging situations. So it is, you've just said, it's really important for PR people who may be more focused on the nice positive news mm. stories to have an element of, yes. of skills. Yeah. Do you think that if they feel confident in just even a, a lower level of confidence around reputation and crisis, they can at least have better conversations with more senior people? Well, I mean... Uh the things that we're talking about, I mean, we, our our research at the CIPR focuses on the FTSE 100, but these companies aren't unique. In fact, they're probably more bomb-proof than most other companies. Yeah. They're already enormously successful. They've got, got a lot going for them. Most of most uh, PR professionals, most of our members, would be working with smaller organisations who are therefore working with a higher level of risk. They've got less money in the bank. They've got a smaller number of customers. It doesn't take that much to go wrong for them to be in serious trouble. So all kinds of disruption, whether that's to do with recently Brexit or COVID, supply chain problems, you know, sudden spikes in inflation. All of these things uh, are problems in the business, which are going to have an impact on your stakeholders. And, you know, you don't, you know, you don't have to be advising at FTSE 100 level to, to think about those things. And if you're not, if you're not thinking about those things, and you're not able to offer some useful advice, and you're not, and you're not thinking about how can I collect data and how do I bring forward evidence that actually customers are thinking differently about this than what they were thinking last year, then, you know, you're not really, you're not really doing your clients a service. And there's a big opportunity there for you to move into that kind of space if it's mm. not what you're doing now. And there's definitely elements of that that could be involved in all sorts of campaigns, even if yeah. you, your brief was to, you know, announce a new product or something, yes. and it is all a lovely campaign, yeah, yeah. lots of great activation, positive stories, but... Should people actually be looking at yes. what could go wrong How here? could this go wrong? Yeah. How might this not land the way we thought? Are we timing it right? I mean, I mean, PR people think about these things all the time. But all that kind of stuff, that's, I think, for most people, second nature. You know, what could possibly go wrong and how do we stop that happening? And what will we do mm. if, you know, we're planning some big launch event? Uh, I mean, it used to be in recent years and the Queen dies, you know, for the last, for the last few years, for our big our big awards events, we think, oh, what are we going to do? How will we respond if that happens at that time? So yeah, all of all of these things are really important, and you can't, you know, I think I think there is also, there is a lot of pressure from the client who is like, we need this, we need it now, rush, 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 bang, 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 whack it out onto the next thing. And I think one of the challenges for a lot of PR people is they don't really have much time to reflect or gather their thoughts, yes. or even have a second that you know, like, you know, you're under pressure to come up with an answer, you come up with an answer. 
Next day, you may think, oh, maybe that wasn't the best thing, but now you're committed, you know. So we've got to give ourselves space and permission as far as we can to say, actually, on second thoughts, I think don't think you should do that. I think you should do this instead and not see that as being unprofessional, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, making a fool of yourself. I think reasonable clients would understand that's a good thing. There's some constraints around budgets at the moment. Yep. Budgets are reducing. Um, yep. So what if a, a client says, I really just want you to only focus on the launch of this product. I don't mm. want you to be thinking about anything else. Mm. What advice would you give to a PR team if a client well, is saying that and their budgets are very tight? I can think of an actual example where one of my members was contacted by a, a large trade association. And they said, no, the world doesn't know enough about our stuff. And we want, we want a big stunt. And she said, well, I don't think a stunt's really going to help you. You know, you need to like, why you need to understand about people, you know, why is it they're not paying attention to this? You're doing all these big, exciting things. Why is it not cutting through? You should do a bit of research and then have a think about what, and it might be this, it might be that, but it's really, you know, it's not going to be a launch, some, some big stunt kind of thing. No, no, no. We decided we, the board's decided we want us, we want a stunt. And after after some conversation, she just thought this is pointless. I mean, like because if I spend their money and deliver what they've asked for, I know it's not going to work. It's just pointless. Then they're going to think, oh well, we had bad advice. It's all terrible and PR's rubbish. It's like no, you just had a stupid idea to start with. I don't know what they did with that. Oh, they may have taken it to somebody else. They they may have given up. But you know, just because a client thinks they know what they want, I mean, everybody goes to a lawyer. I keep bringing lawyers into this, but you know. Everyone goes to the lawyer and says, you know, either I want a quick and easy divorce or I want to take the other party, you know, to the, absolutely to the cleaners. And the lawyers will always say to you, yes, that's possible, but, you know, yeah. think about this, think about that. I strongly recommend that you don't take that course of action. You think about this, you know, mm. or here are some options. Or, mm. And that's why their advice is valued. So I think, you know, PR people are under, and the time pressure is getting worse worse and worse. Now, a lot of people have got the idea that a lot of stuff is just done by AI. So it's like, well, you, you know, you don't need two weeks to prepare. Just, you know, I want this by tomorrow morning type thing. So that's, that's getting harder and harder. There's less and less thinking time. But it's becoming more and more important because if you just kind of blunder along doing whatever the client's asked for, you know, one day you'll end up in serious trouble. And not taken seriously, and which is what, seriously. what we want from yeah. those senior team members. I've talked about PR professionals being, you know, doing this kind of research and insight mm. and being in touch with what's going on truly with the target mm. audience. Is that a skill set that they need to learn? Or yes. do you think that every PR person has has the ability to just be able to dive into this kind I'm of sure insight? I'm sure they have the ability, but, you know, it, it, it takes familiarity and, and you mustn't, it, it's easy to get sidetracked or distracted with something that looks really, oh yeah, that, you know, that's just really interesting and important. But, you know, I mean, I'm hopeless at anything to do with numbers, really, myself. Me too. Uh, which is not a great confession. Even though I talk about data but, you know, as well. <laughs> you know, I'm fine on, you know, my organization's accounts because I understand the organization and I can look yeah. at the numbers and relate them to reality. But it is possible to blind yourself with numbers and not really understand what you're looking at. So I don't think you need to be a statistical genius, but you need to be skeptical about numbers and, and not allow yourself to just fall into thinking that what you thought in the first place is demonstrated in some way. And, and you can especially on, you know, there's not much time and there's not much budget and you've got a small sample size, you can, you can come to some wild conclusions. So, I mean, yes, if you want to go to the level of, you know, if you think about 
polling, whether it's consumer polling or political polling. I mean, there's a real science to that, you know, and you really have to know your stuff and sampling. Most PR people aren't going to have that. Obviously, if they've got big budgets, they would they probably bring in a specialist to do that for them. But they need to know a bit about it. I think they need to understand the principle. You know, I don't understand the uh, specifics of, of, of accounting, but I know enough to be able to ask my head of finance some sensible questions and to say, no, that doesn't sound right, and to understand what the auditors are telling me to do. So you, you need you need that kind of level of general understanding so that you're not bamboozled, really. I think that's the important point and why PR people are in the best place to mm. be thinking about this, because they are so close to the client objectives, the target audience, the media. They've got a really good view about the really important parties here and then what could go wrong. Yes. So if they can just get some help in how best to get that data yes. back to them, yeah, yeah. And I know that at the very sort of low level, we had some alerts set up for clients and actually the business that I work for now, just being able to say, well, is anyone is anyone searching on this topic? Right. Because that potentially could be a bad thing. Right. Or if it's this brand name plus this word, that could potentially be a bad thing. Or if people talking about that. So even if you just had some alerts, that's a good way, you know, set mm. up that could send, send back to you. That oh, we could noticed be a on, good on that way. point, we did notice... If you look at reputation management on Google Trends, I mean, it's consistently low. It hasn't really changed that much in the last 15 years. If you look at reputation damage, yeah, that spiked in 2021. Really? So it's suddenly organisations, you know, people are searching. I don't know who's doing the searching, but that people are thinking about reputation damage in a new way. So so the sorts of things that we're, that we're, we're talking about now are a good thing, I think, for people to be thinking about in their own work, in their own agency or their own organisation, and think about ways of introducing the topic. Because we are behind the times in reputation management, but it is coming to the surface. People are thinking about it more than they were. Definitely an opportunity there. Definitely an opportunity. And an opportunity to have better senior conversations yes. for other types yeah. of work as well. What can people do to feel more confident in this area? How, is there training available? What can um, they there do? There is, yeah. I mean, it does, in the end, come down to making time and investing in yourself. You know, some people are lucky. They've got employers who will who will train them in development in these things. In fact, there is an, there's an, also an opportunity there because I think over the last two to three years, employers have really struggled to recruit and retain good people. People who have the sorts of skills we're talking about are the ones who are getting snapped up and you know they're 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 finding it very easy to get uh, uh, headhunted or or new offers. So there is more of an emphasis we've certainly seen in the last couple of years. Employers are taking training and development much more seriously. And the important thing is to to really make yourself learn in areas where you don't necessarily feel comfortable. And you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to know everything. But you need to be able to talk with a bit of confidence about some of these things yeah. and know where to ask. You know, so that if it takes you beyond what you can what you can do or what you can deliver, you've got someone else who can say, well, I think I want to speak to that person or bring them in to help with this. And, you know, not all clients are going to agree. Some of them will just want stuff in a rush and, you know, the same old way. But we have to speak up for ourselves and we have to, we have to you know, no one's going to do it for us, you know. And, it, and, and the worst thing, the worst possible outcome would be if we're, you know, having this conversation in five years' time and the Google trends show that people are still searching more and more about reputational damage and someone else has taken it over. It's not good for organisations no. if lawyers, for example, take over the whole business of reputation management mm. and, and some of them are moving into that space. Some of them have got specialist reputation units and, you know, that will push the whole area of reputation management 
in one direction, mm. likely to be very defensive, mm. not likely to be very, that, I, you know, I don't know, but I, that may have been one of the causes behind what happened to Thomas Cook. Mm. They're just too defensive and wouldn't, wouldn't take a line which would have appealed to their customers and made them think, okay, something went badly wrong there, but I can have confidence it's not going to happen to me. And if something bad does happen, I'll be well looked after. They didn't do those things. It's really interesting. The only way it can be avoided is with communications yeah, experts. Right, yeah. Interestingly, you've seen about who else may take this business mm. if it's not communications professionals. I know that there are online marketers, SEO experts who are doing sort of a sweep up of bad things mm -hmm. after they've happened. And there's, there yep. is some investment going into that. Again, it's not the ideal route. No. It's not the way it should be. You know, we need to prepare and, and avoid yeah. these kind of situations. Really, really interesting. I've got another question for you for mm. agency owners, because we, we've talked about more training and yeah. upskilling with PR professionals. What do you think the ideal balance is of having comms professionals upskill in data and research mm compared to hiring data professionals who are not PR people? That will depend on your agency, who you've got, what, what talent you've got already, who your clients are. I don't think there's a, a kind of one size fits all answer for that. And depends on the complexity of what, what you're dealing with. Mm. But, you know, I, I think investing in your own people has always got to be a, a good thing. And as everything's getting more data driven, it does make sense. Because these things, you know, they don't just apply in one context. You're not just training people to look at data for this thing. You're getting them more familiar with looking at uh, data for all kinds of things. And that's yeah. that's going to help you in other ways. Do you think as an industry, we need to talk about this more or offer more mm. training or have some more events? What do you think we, we should do we, as we an industry? We talk about it quite a lot. <laughs> we talk about it quite We're a lot. We're talking about it right now. <laughs> Actually getting people to bite down and do the bloody training is a different thing yeah. because it, it's not comfortable. Yeah. I mean, we did, it's a slightly different topic, but we, we used to survey our members and say, what do you feel is your biggest area of weakness and where, where do you think you need the most training? And they all said finance. Is that fair enough? We'll put on finance courses. Did they come to them? <laughs> no, they didn't. Because the reason that they weren't very skilled is because they don't like it. Yes. Right? And you can offer training. Objectively, they all know they need the training, but they're not going <laughs> unless yeah. someone makes them. Yeah. And so, and it's, you know, it's not, not generally very sexy, is it? It's just, you know, seeing a bit dull and nerdy. And people have usually got more exciting things to, to focus on, more creative things. And, and we don't want to just become, you know, data bots churning out answers because that's what the spreadsheet says. But I don't think you can really escape this kind of understanding and skill and, and also ability to talk about it with other. It's not just what you know. It's like well, you've, got to, you've got to talk to a client about this and you've got to come across as having something sensible to say about it and that you know you know you're not, you're not just reading three lines ahead of them you know because they've probably got some knowledge about these things as well so there's a lot to do there but it, it's all doable you know i mean pr people are really bright and really mm. capable and you know they can turn their hand at breakneck speed to almost anything you know yeah. so i think they just have to kind of make themselves do it Definitely. And just imagine PR people that you could be that hero mm, that yes, could absolutely. turn around that's the whole right. business. The valuable, interesting work you could yeah. do. You know, you it, could, you know, that's some amazing stuff. Yeah. You know? I know whenever I go to hear people talking about their work, it's always these kind of things like huge crises, like, you know, BP, well disaster, you know, airline things. People are, oh, these are like the heroes of the industry. Yeah. You know, if it's, oh, how did you do that? Well, 
by developing myself to get to the stage where I could, yeah. people trusted me with this kind of problem. Yeah. And it can be quite stressful for the days of the, in the crisis, but afterwards it's amazing to look back on. I mean, anyone who has a conversation with someone like Rod Cartwright, for yeah. example, or Amanda, thank you. <laughs> Just their careers and the things that they've worked on. Mm. Absolutely unbelievable. I actually interviewed Amanda on the podcast and just what a career. Wow. Mm. And so I would have loved to have worked mm. on something mm. like that at some point in my career. Mm. So, you know, think about the hero that you yeah. could be yeah. and the really Absolutely. helping and for truly helping yeah. people as well. Yeah. So, And the other thing about, you know, Rod or Amanda or other people is they're very generous with their time. Yeah. They're very generous with their advice. Yeah, they you are. know, they, they really want other people to have the opportunity that they had, you know, yeah. so it's not, it's not some sort of elite club that you can't break no. into. You know, they didn't. They didn't start off by thinking I'm going to solve great world-breaking problems. You know, they, they, they're people who found their way into those positions. If you want to know about these things, ask them and they'll help you. Yeah, great advice. Great advice. Thank you so much for sharing the insight and the research. Real pleasure. Thank you. Will you be carrying us out again next year? Oh yes, we will. We might want to vary it a bit, or as you suggested perhaps look at other countries and see how we're mm, doing compared with them. But yes, it is really important. Brilliant. Well, I can't wait to hear how we have developed. <laughs> Thank you so Great. much, Alisa. Thank, Thank you. That was the PR Resolution podcast. If you want to learn more about emerging areas of PR, join the PR Resolution and head to blog.coveragebook.com. Stay in touch by following me on Twitter at Stella Bales and make sure you subscribe to the series to get the next episode. Thank you.